How's it to be back in the pub? Brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> fabulous. Yeah, I've missed just having a pint. A bit socialising. It's been three months since they closed their doors, and many of the United Kingdom's restaurants, movie theaters, hairdressers, and some of its 39,000 pubs are reopening. Work hard all week and enjoy a nice English pint uh, on a weekend. 20, 30 maybe. <laughs> I went to the Keys, a pub in Shakespeare's hometown, Stratford-upon-Avon, after they reopened to ask pub goers about what it's like to be out and about again. It's a weird atmosphere at the moment. It's better than it was. But... Chris Creasy is the Keys publican. That's British speak for pub owner. He'd only been running the pub for two months when he had to shut down, so for Chris, reopening comes with excitement and anxiety. I was really nervous and I didn't know how it would go, but it's gone all right. It's gone all right. The UK is home to Europe's highest death toll and it's lifting some of the lockdown's strictest measures. But there's still plenty of questions about the road ahead. The economy is wrecked, it really is, and I don't know how we're going to get through all this. In this episode, as the U.S. struggles with the safest way to reopen, we go across the pond to Great Britain, where they're easing restrictions and bracing for what the Bank of England says could be the worst recession in 300 years. The U.K. economy shrank by more than a fifth in April. That's the largest monthly contraction ever recorded. We talked to policy experts and pub goers alike about how Great Britain is handling the pandemic. This is just fraught with difficulty and I think there have been lots of successes too. And what lessons we can learn. There's this kind of myth that there's this balance between health and the economy that's playing out here, but actually it's a false dichotomy. From the PBS NewsHour, this is America Interrupted. I'm Ryan Chilcoot. By the time the coronavirus hit Britain's shores, the UK knew what was coming. This killer pandemic is virtually out of control. Images of Italy's overrun hospitals, then the global epicenter beamed into their homes, and Brits were horrified. Voices had been growing for Prime Minister Boris Johnson to announce a lockdown, but he wasn't having it. As far as possible, it should be business as usual. Yet on March the 23rd, Boris Johnson did a 180 and locked the entire country down. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. Then, just three days later... The Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, has tested positive for coronavirus. He became the first world leader to test positive and nearly died. The UK has the world's third highest death toll, more than 44,000. And while infections have subsided... Even the government acknowledges it was late to act. Had we introduced lockdown measures a week earlier, we would have reduced the final death toll by at least a half. Back at the pub, support for the prime minister's handling of the pandemic that was sky high after he fell sick is now mixed. I think he's handled it terribly. I don't think he's led the country at all. How do you feel Boris Johnson handled everything? Really good. I think. Yeah, I, I believe that he's done what he can. Probably could have shut down a little bit earlier. A week earlier, but I think but everybody I sat down with two Brits who have spent much of their lockdowns thinking about the UK's response to the pandemic. Claire Wenham is a political scientist and health policy expert at the London School of Economics. And Robert Chooks is an economist at Rowan Dartington, a UK-based wealth management company. The first thing I wanted to know was... How do they think Prime Minister Johnson's handled the pandemic? Uh, 
Um, I don't think he's done all that well. And it's not just not just what's happened recently, but, you know, long term austerity cuts, focusing on Brexit, not investing in making sure that the, the health service had the capacity it needed. And then, you know, where was he? Uh, you know, he wasn't around and he hasn't been inclusive in his decision making. He's had a a mixed bag of successes and failures through this. I think that's probably fair. But but I don't think it's fair to assume that Boris has made a worse job of it than maybe an, uh, another leader of a different party. I, I think just starting from where he started, uh, he ha- kind of had to play the hand he was dealt. But but I would just jump in there and say one thing that I think was a, a fundamental flaw to the Johnson strategy in this outbreak, which was not following World Health Organization advice. In March, the World Health Organization were very clear that it was about track, trace, isolate. And that was how we're going to get out of this. And the same week, the Johnson administration decided we're moving into delay stage rather than focusing on this track and trace. And I think that was the fundamental mistake that was made. The whole issue of reopening and how to deal with the virus has become very political, at least it certainly would appear that way in the United States. It doesn't feel as divisive or politicized here in the UK. No, it is politicized and it's been politicized, uh, you know, in every country, right? There's, there's always politics and there's global politics playing as well. I think what we're seeing in the UK, though, is it hasn't necessarily been party political. Uh, and we've seen, you know, parties working together. Indeed, the opposition didn't want to criticize the government in the early stages of our outbreak and, and our lockdown because it wanted to maintain the government message and make sure people were listening to it. I would agree with Claire. I think the politicization is very different in the UK than the US. Certainly one of the things I've noticed is that you don't see many people wearing masks in the UK. So mask wearing hasn't been this key political issue which we're seeing in the US. Uh, and you know the message is still being kind of stay alert and stay at a distance from each other rather than wear masks. And we are starting to see that change. But I think maybe we're just a bit behind you on that. What should the UK be doing that they aren't already doing on the public health side? First of all, is really getting a functioning track and trace system in place. And whether that is through an app or use local health infrastructure that we have at, at, at a local level to do this sort of manually. That's what we need to be able to start to open up sex of our economy meaningfully. The United Kingdom says its app for track and trace, which is now two months late, should be ready by winter. For the reopening, they're rolling out a low-tech approach. Pubgoers, for one, have to leave their name and details at the door in case anyone gets sick. And another thing they're doing in the pub is a one-way traffic system to preempt aimless encounters. And standing at the bar, the norm at British pubs, is now banned. While the government is working to prevent a second wave as it reopens the economy, it's also spending tens of billions to keep people employed but away from work. The state is now covering the lion's share of salaries for 12 million workers, a full 40% of the workforce. And that's been one of the powerful reasons why the unemployment rate in the UK is now less than half of what it is in the US. I think there have been lots of successes too. and I think we really should be even-handed about that. And specifically, coming back to where we started in terms of the economic consequences of COVID and lockdown, the government's very, very fast to... Um, make available aid packages, for example. I asked him if he thinks the furlough program has been a good thing. Unquestionably, that's been a good thing. And it's given companies the breathing space that they need to to navigate this crisis uh, at a more uh, human pace. 
it's not going to continue and in and for some it's going to delay what would have been the inevitable there will be more job losses as a result of lockdown i think that's very clear and there'll be some companies that just won't be able to re-emerge they won't have the working capital to get going again so we'll unquestionably see more bankruptcies and firm closures going forward and, and that will correlate with more unemployment I would agree with that with one caveat, which is what we're starting to see from some of the research that's happening is that furlough has been uh, applied unequally between uh, genders uh, and between uh, ethnic groups. And so we've got to be careful then that when redundancies inevitably come, which I agree with Rob, it's not going to fall down these same lines and it's women who disproportionately become uh, unemployed as a consequence of this outbreak. I would agree with with Claire's point about the unequal impact of um, COVID on the workforce. And I think COVID has been an amplifier for inequality. And I I think this is a real opportunity for governments across the world to step up and do something really different in, in response to this. Claire, one difference between the US and the UK is that the UK has universal healthcare, the National Health Service. How has that played into the UK's response to the pandemic? So I think it's in, in two ways. Um, so we know from previous research in different, in different outbreaks that having a functioning universal health system, which is free to use, means that you're going to pick up outbreaks sooner because people aren't scared about going to the doctor, worried about having to pay for it. The second thing is people who uh, aren't worried about the cost of, of health care are more likely to go in to seek healthcare services sooner, which means that you're not going to only you're going to be able to intervene uh, earlier in the infection. And hopefully that means it won't lead to such severe outcomes. Rob, economically speaking, does it make a difference? Yeah, I think it does. And I agree with those two points. I think um, free at the point of use in, in the UK has, has definitely put the UK in a better starting position than the US. Brits aren't necessarily worried about how they'll pay for care related to coronavirus, but they do worry about their government binging on debt and its harmful effects on future generations. There's a feeling out there that all of these economic measures that the government here has implemented are just kicking the can down the road for future generations. Is that right? I think that's not a bad way of looking at it. I mean, there's no other choice, unfortunately because this could be really very painful indeed. So I think some government intervention is necessary. There is some research to suggest that higher levels of government debt are consistent with lower levels of of long-term growth. And again, I think that makes a lot of intuitive sense to me. But there's a lot of good that can be done with the government trying to pump prime an economy. I think that there's there's this kind of myth that there's this balance between health and the economy that's playing out here. But actually, it's a false dichotomy because without a healthy population, you're not going to have people being able to, to be the labor force, to, to go and buy things. The sharper, stronger lockdown is better for your economy in the long term because you, you get rid of the virus, you eliminate it. Uh, you allow then able to just manage the imported cases through quarantine and the rest of your economy can pretty much open up as normal and people can get back to whatever this new, new life is going to be in our post-coronavirus world. The other thing we need to do is think about this question of inequalities and make sure that that the government is coming up with recommendations so that certain sectors of our society aren't the ones who are being most infected. Going forward, when we think about the economy, we also need to think about, um, you know, what economy we want and what society we want. 
Closer to closing, things were picking up at the pub, and I ran into a group of young women reveling in their newfound freedom. Here, it's a lovely pub, brilliant vibes, nice drinks, everything's just good. But the pub is far from packed. Even with furlough money in their pockets, most Brits are still uncomfortable eating out. If it wasn't for the pandemic, on a day like today, how busy would you be? It would be really busy. Everything's busy. Packed, yeah. Almost all indoor performances are still banned, and for Stratford-upon-Avon, where theatre and Shakespeare are king, that's nothing short of devastating. Chris and a group of actors are preparing to stage what they hope will be the town's first post-pandemic comedy, Shakespeare's Merry Wives of Windsor, in the beer garden. I am Dr. Keyes, the French physician, which I love because I get to say things like, Rugby, my rapier, wherefore shall I be content? <laughs> but what worries Chris is what happens when the furlough program ends in October and unemployment sets in. But then again, opening up also worries him. A city just 40 miles down the road is now in its second lockdown after an outbreak. I'm glad the pub's open today because I've been dying for the pub to open. But if it was me, I would have done it more staged. And yet, in classic British fashion, Chris is keeping a stiff upper lip. I don't think we've, um, we've licked it, but we've got to get on with it, you know, we've got to carry on. This episode was produced by Rachel Welford and Vika Aronson and edited by Erica R. Hendry and Emily Carpo. Production assistance from Maya Lene Bura and Bella Isaacs. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. And our thanks to Morgan Till, Travis Dobb, Vanessa Dennis, and James Williams. Our executive producer is Sarah Just. You can follow all of our coverage on air and on our website, pbs.org newshour. Thanks for listening.